0: Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, watchdogging the media. Uh, There was a time not too long ago that a lot of big news organizations had people who were called public editors, and their job was to um, take a look at what was going on at these places, talk to readers, talk to viewers, and serve as a watchdog internally for these news organizations to make sure they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Um, That went along well until uh, the economics of the business cratered, and slowly and over time, everybody got rid of their public editor. The New York Times was the last big news outlet standing. They got rid of their public editor a couple of years ago, and now the only full-time public editor or ombudsman at a big news organization in America is at NPR, and that's it. And it just seemed to me, and it seemed to us at CJR that at a time when trust in the media was low and when the demand and need for a public editor function was so high, it was ridiculous that more of them weren't there. So we decided that we were going to hire our own. And we found some amazingly talented writers, and we assigned them to specific news organizations, being The New York Times, The Washington Post, CNN, and MSNBC— and announced this week um, the launch of this public editor project. And I'm extremely happy to have with me um, Emily Tampkin, who is now the CNN public editor for CJR. Emily, welcome.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me on.
0: And w- what does that mean? You wear like a judge's robe? and?
1: Yeah, um... absolutely. I just wear it around my apartment um, while I watch CNN. No, I am the, the unofficial and unaffiliated public editor for CJR, which... Which basically, to me, means that I'm writing for you on the viewer's behalf, right? Yeah. Um, so raising concerns that that I as a viewer have, that other viewers have expressed, or or that just reflects some tension that's bubbling to the surface um, in the way that CNN produces its its news. What it does not mean is that I am here to like dunk on CNN or snark about their reporters. Like that's not. It at all. Um, I think that CNN has a lot of amazing journalists and I think that CNN does a lot of really great work um, but I think that with any news organization, especially this, these sort of massive news organizations that are guiding so much of the way the way that we one consume news but two we just understand what's going on around us right um, It's worth taking a step back and ask and asking, okay, what are they doing right? what are they doing? Less than right, and, and and how is that shaping the way that those who turn on the television or read the newspaper or whatever understand what's happening?
0: Why do you think that they pulled back on this? Um, I mean, I I, I I I wrote a piece a few months ago about this kind of defensive huddle that a lot of the media uh, seems to be in as they increasingly are under attack, and they seem less interested in actually engaging in the outside world. I don't know if you agree with that, or but do you have any theories on why this has been? less of a priority for people?
1: I have two. One, I think you already said, which is the economics of it, right? It These are people who cost money to have on and sort of the calculation as well. Do I want to keep this person on? Do I, do I want to keep uh, a high-profile columnist or hire more reporters? Or, 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 And I think the other thing is that I don't think it's accidental that this sort of coincided with the rise of social media. Uh-huh. Um, we're sort of... You know, somebody somebody yesterday tweeted at me, you know, on, on Twitter, everyone's an ombudsman. And that's yeah. sort of true. Um, and so it was less that I don't know if this is why it happened or if it just happened this way. But the demise of the public editor role came about as sort of everybody could for themselves in their own heads take on the, the role of the public editor toward publications that they did or didn't like. Yeah. Um, but what, what you lose there is somebody with skin in the game. Who's thinking about the organization and cares about the organization, but is also sort of there to check it. And I think what's interesting about this project, which I'm so excited to be involved in, is that um, it's not that exactly right because I'm not sitting in CNN. I don't, you know, I, I don't have skin in the game in the same way that a, a public editor proper would. But it's less like let me pop off a tweet about something that I think is upsetting, and more okay, let me think in a systematic and consistent way about what this news outlet is bringing to those who go to it for its news.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, because this is certainly something that the New York times especially has used as its rationale for getting rid of its public editor, who by the way was my predecessor at CJR, Liz Spade. Oh really? Yeah. The excuse they use and I, and the publisher said it again this week at a conference is that, you know, social media is here and, and there's no shortage of media criticism on Twitter. But you know, my counter is that that stuff is so short-lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like bursts of criticism. And then the, the very nature of social media is that everybody so quickly moves on. And I actually think it's given a sort of fig leaf to these organizations to say, oh, yeah, we're we're being watchdogged on Twitter, which is like not real. Right. That's not real sort of thoughtful criticism at all.
1: Right. So you'll get like You know, maybe there's one New York Times op-ed that makes people really mad and they'll they'll tweet about it or there's like one article and and people will will tweet about that. But then you also have the response where there's like the counter, there's a backlash to it. Right. Or like the the counter where. And I think to go back to what you were saying earlier, that a lot of these organizations, in part fairly because of the time that we're in where media is constantly maligned by people in power, will kind of come back to well, we're being attacked, or you don't understand what reporting is, or you don't understand journalism. And it's sort of like, okay, maybe, right? But but there was once a role to try to help people understand what it was and why maybe you actually yourselves weren't hitting those marks, and now there, there aren't people doing that. So I think what I, at least, and I am sure that um, my other unofficial, unaffiliated public editors will do this as well, is to just try to add some, to make it sort of more constant, more thoughtful, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess actually I think you could say more systematic in our in our critiques. Well, also um, maybe
0: maybe have a little reporting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In a way that you <laughs> which you don't get on Twitter on Twitter, right?
0: What was the, what was your what did you make of the reaction to this over the last um, uh, whatever it is thirty six hours?
1: I have to say I was surprised at how big the reaction was. Right when I had was approached to do this, I thought that would be. You know, it sounds so fun. It's interesting. This will be a fun thing to do. But there was somebody from the LA Times who tweeted like, "Wow, like, CJR has appointed public editors." Or uh, I had people like, "Congratulations on your new role as public <laughs> editor, Emily." I was like, "Well, <laughs> I'm writing a few columns. Let's not." Uh... No, but I think that people are are excited about it, which I think speaks to a hunger for this, right? For for media criticism that's maybe a, a bit more sustained and thoughtful than what's. Out there right now, which is not, in any way, a knock at media critics or even people on Twitter. I just think that this project is something that people were, were looking for, maybe without knowing it.
0: Yeah. So well, and this brings us to your first piece, yeah, which, which we which we published yesterday, which is terrific. Congratulations. Thank you. It was about CNN and about how they think through who they put on air as an as a topic expert slash. Trump administration spokesperson. What opened the piece was this really interesting exchange between Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon over whether it was a good idea uh, to put Kellyanne Conway on the air. So talk us through the piece and about that moment.
1: Sure. So back in March, um, Chris Cuomo wrapped up his program, and he had had Kellyanne on, and then he was turning it over to Don Lemon, and they have this, like, banter moment before the one show goes to the other. And he was like, uh, Don, I've never seen Kellyanne. Look so weak. Maybe it's just getting too hard to defend the president. And Don Lemon was kind of like, why do you have her on? I don't think you're doing a service to anyone by having this woman on to not answer your questions, degrade the network, and lie. And Chris Cuomo's response was that if if he only brought on people who answered the questions, honestly, he would be sitting alone a lot of the time. I was kind of like, oh, that's okay. Um,
0: Maybe you need a new booker.
1: Right. Yeah. But two, that this is the Trump White House and she is the person the president has sent on to defend him. And that if this is the person who the president thinks is is the best defense, then the viewers have the right to see that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And so I I thought about this exchange because I was sort of going back and forward about you know who's right. On the one hand, it's sort of tempting to be like, yeah, go Don Lemon. She's just lying all the time. Why is she on this news network? But on the other hand, it is the Trump White House. She does work for the White House. Okay, fine. And then last month, discussing these tariffs on Mexico that the president had announced, he has on Kimberly Guilfoyle, who is a former Fox News personality, is the president's eldest son's girlfriend, and is a senior advisor to the campaign you know, he's explaining the tariffs, and he goes, but the, the, the question is, what's the sell? And, and here to discuss it is Kimberly Guilfoyle. Okay, first of all, why is the central question, what's the sell, right? Like, that's not, your job is not to sell the tariff policy to the American people. But okay, let's say that, that you want to make that your central question. Why in the world is Kimberly Guilfoyle, who is not an economist, she's not an immigration expert, she's not even the person who crafted the policy, right? So if you want to go back to saying, well, it's the Trump White House, you know, we have to have the, a representative from the administration on. That's not her. This is not a campaign promise. This mm. is Trump administration policy. So she can't actually speak as a member of the Trump administration. The campaign is in November 2020. It is now the spring of 2019. Like, that's not the lens here. And so what you're left with is, OK, what what are what is the case for tariffs? Well, why am I listening to Kimberly Gilfoyle to talk about that? <laughs> right. Like, there are people who who can make a convincing case for tariffs if if you know if that's what you want but she is not one of them so why are you why is the viewer right like if i'm the viewer and i've turned on my television to try to understand what these tar- like what is going on with these tariffs kimberly Gilfoyle is not going to inform me about that she's going to repeat the president's talking points which at this point we're like many years into into those same talking points we've heard this before that is not an informative exchange yeah and then just last week when trump was at the State dinner in the United Kingdom. Chris Cuomo has on a repeat guest, um, Christopher Reddy, who's the CEO of, of Newsmax, and he asks him. Like, he was also at the at the state dinner, so I'm like, okay, well maybe, you know, if you're going to talk about sort of the ambiance, rather than speaking about like, did you have fish or chicken or whatever, he starts. You know, he plays this clip of the Queen's speech and she's talking about multilateral institutions, and Chris Cuomo seems to be getting at, do you think that the Queen was speaking against what the policies the president has pursued? I think was the implication. Mm-hmm. And the CEO of Newsmax starts talking about how actually Trump is has not attacked NATO. Uh, he just wants Germany to spend more because if we spent what Germany did on defense, we could have total student loan forgiveness. And it's like, you know, that like that record scratch noise. Like, what? <laughs> like, First of all, first of all, what universe are we in where, we're, where we lower defense spending and suddenly there's total student loan forgiveness? Like, what <laughs> movie have you been watching where that is a believable sequence of events? A. B, this is not, again, if, if you're speaking, you know, about U.S.-U.K. or U.S.-European or transatlantic relations, this is not, by a long shot, the most qualified person you could have on. And that includes people who report for CNN, right? Like, their yeah. foreign affairs... Reporters are very talented and could actually give your viewers. And I understand that that's not the premise of this program, find. But even if your goal is to present multiple opinions or multiple perspectives to viewers, this is not that. This is just somebody who Trump is friends with, yeah. who's now repeating the same lines that we've already heard. Like, what is the possible value to the person watching CNN? And is that not the central question when you were putting together your program? What can I give to my viewer tonight? What will what will leave them informed, what will make them better understand the issues, what will raise further questions other than why did I just watch that, right? Like, and I'm not trying to be sort of glib about this. I think it's, I think these are two complicated issues that having somebody who was informed on that, that discussion could have helped the person watching it. And instead we were like in Trump world learning nothing. Right. So that was the piece.
0: Yeah. Of course this all assumes that there is somebody in the administration who knows something about Mexican tariffs.
1: Well, there's somebody in the administration who like if if, if you wanted to have, I don't know, Stephen Miller on, right, to talk about immigration and why it was such a problem. Uh-huh. At least that would be the person who's pushing immigration policy, right? right? So, like, at least you could come and question that person, and that, you know, and and that's a representative of the administration, and that's their thinking, and that's the person who's in the room responsible. That's not what this was.
0: No I, yeah. no, I mean, Right. It, this
1: was somebody to just like read off the talking points.
0: Yeah, and I've I've had I've made the same argument about Kellyanne for a while. Like, I don't I have no idea why people keep putting her on with her track record of of lying to the press. There's a couple of questions that that spring from this. One is. How unusual is c n n in this regard, or do you th- you sort of see them as a stand in for these these cable panel shows?
1: I think that what's different about c n n is that and this is actually so of the four right the four uh, outlets that were public editing, I think it's probably more similar to the New York Times in this way than it is to msNBC mm-hmm. where it's very interested in maintaining kind of the appearance of objectivity and the sort of both sides. Mm -hmm. And we have to hear from across the spectrum, whereas MSNBC, I think, would probably not have these people on. There are other issues with um, MSNBC that I will leave it to my my MSNBC public editor colleague to to raise. Um, But I think that that's sort of a a differentiating factor. I, I will say that the other thing about CNN is that I don't know of any other news outlet in America that has been as maligned as yeah. CNN is in yeah. this administration, which I am like not a famous person, right? Like I'm not Chris Cuomo and the emails that I've received just from reporting have been horrible and yeah. scary and, and um, demoralizing. Yeah. So I can't imagine how that affects, right? And like just to have some empathy in this, I can't imagine how that affects the way in which you do your job. Um, if that makes you defensive, if that makes you bring on people that you might not otherwise bring on, I, I don't know, um, but I do think it should be pointed out that, that they really are different and that they're so out ahead of the pack in terms of attracting the president's negative attention, I yeah. guess, is, is, how I'll, is how I'll put it. So those are two ways in which I think it's yeah. sort of unique among all outlets, but particularly on television.
0: Yeah. And I think the interesting problem that CNN really has to confront is if they decide they want to do a, if they want to do a segment on these tariffs, and they call the White House and they say we want to do a tariff panel. And they say, okay, we'll give you Kimberly Guilfoyle. And they'll say, no, we want somebody else. And they'll say, well, that's all we have. Then what do they do? And I think our, I think your take and I, mine is that well, you just find somebody else. You don't put her on, right?
1: But, I mean, there there are people in this country who are informed who a, a more traditional U.S. foreign policy expert might not agree with, but who you could find to defend tariffs, who is speaking from a place of, of knowledge or policy background or like something, yeah. right? Something more than Kimberly skill foil. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I'm sure that that will make things more difficult for you with the campaign down the line. Yeah. Um, but your job is not to make things easy with the campaign. It's to help your viewers. Right. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. That's, That's how I see it and and feel about it.
0: Yeah. So how do you how do you foresee going about this? I mean, are you are you just glued to CNN all day long, or you (laughs) tape it, or how do you Um, what do you do?
1: Yeah, I think that there are. I mean, one to watch a lot of CNN. Two to be open to feedback from readers and from you know this is sort of an open call to CNN staff. Uh, Should anyone want to get in touch? I think there are some themes that I've already been interested in or curious about that I will sort of explore as this goes on. And but then also leaving room for if there is something that comes up that's particularly right. So like the piece that I first piece was kind of like a clearly this is something I had been building over time. um, But there are also instances that come up that I think are worthy of attention that I will also address. And as you said, I think a nice thing about this is that there's a an opportunity for reporting. Yeah. Which you don't have if you're writing tweets, and which I think sometimes uh, people don't take for for whatever reason. But it's, it's something that I'm looking forward to to doing.
0: Yeah, Emily, really happy to have you.
1: Oh, I'm so delighted to to have spoken to you today, and also to be a part
0: of this project. Yeah, no, it's terrific, and I look forward to your um, to to what you come up with. You can read Emily's uh, debut piece yesterday. It's on cgr.org. And stay tuned for her colleagues who are again watching MSNBC, The Washington Post, and the New York Times for their pieces in in the days and the weeks to come, and check out CJR for everything else going on in media. Um, thank you for listening See you next week.